Hey, I'm Caleb Howard, and welcome to Tales from Sacred Texts. This podcast is a sarcastic and story-driven narrative of myths surrounding various belief systems and ridiculous stories from the Bible, Apocrypha, and Gnostic Gospels, as well as other sacred texts, that will explore little-known facts and stories related to religion. Today, we're doing two of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. We're bringing back Ahab from the Elijah story, and he goes on to engage in some more abuse of the prophets and some general stupidity as well. We'll learn how it's not a great idea to kill someone for a very petty reason, when it's important to play dress-up to get your point across, and why you shouldn't send everyone who disagrees with you to jail. Backstory The Golden Age of Israel happened under a king named Solomon, who, according to mythology, had a ring that could bind demons, but we won't cover that in this episode. I know that sounds exciting. We may get to it, but mythology is somewhat out of the realm of this podcast. Anyway, when Solomon got old, he tried to pass the kingdom to his son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam, though, was an idiot and told the people he would be a tyrant and lashed them with scorpions. Most of them turned to a servant of his father's, Jeroboam, to rule the kingdom instead. The Hebrews split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, called Israel, was ruled mostly by people who hated the worship of Yahweh. These were the supporters of Jeroboam. The southern kingdom was called Judah, and it was ruled to a large extent by people who chose to worship Yahweh, although they did initially start out by following Rehoboam, who was the one who wanted to lash people with scorpions. The inhabitants of the kingdom of Judah, or the Jews, have survived to the present day as a distinct people group and are now the nation of Israel. All right, let's get into the story. Naboth groaned. Was Ahab really going to try this again? The last few days, Ahab, the king of Israel, had come down to Naboth's house, asking if his vineyard was for sale. No. No, it wasn't. He gestured out toward the field. Was there a for sale sign? That's what he thought. The king could not buy the vineyard. The king cleared his throat. He was the king. He was going to get that vineyard. But hey, Naboth had caught him in a good mood. He was willing to pay a little bit extra than market value. Naboth shrugged. It wasn't for sale. Sorry, but the king could go somewhere else. The king frowned. He wanted the vineyard because it was close to his house. This particular vineyard. If I were Naboth, I would have just given up and taken the very generous offer Ahab provided. The guy was an actual loose cannon. But there's some Old Testament law and tradition that it explains why Naboth continued to refuse. I don't want to take the time to explain detailed Torah instructions on this podcast, so suffice it to say that Naboth had his reasons. When Ahab realized he was getting nowhere, his mood turned ugly. He stomped out of Naboth's house and went home to sulk. He lay on the floor, pouting, until his wife found him two hours later. Kill Naboth? That sounds pretty awful, Ahab exclaimed. So? Jezebel shrugged. You're king, and he's not. This is totally acceptable in the ancient world. Listen, just sit down, relax, and I'll get you the vineyard. Ahab wasn't sure exactly how she planned to do this, but he smiled. He didn't want to know. It was probably going to be pretty brutal. He knew that if anyone could get him that vineyard, she could. He wasn't going to think about it. He called his servants to start preparing him a feast. 
A few days later, Naboth received a surprise invitation. There was going to be a community religious event. He hadn't heard about it before, but as a responsible and honest man, he took the time to attend. He had a pretty good reputation in town, and he was to be honored at the event. The town elders, and really everyone in town, trusted and respected him. Naboth showed up to the event early and was quickly given the seat of honor. He wasn't a big fan of all the attention, but he was happy that the people recognized that he provided an example to all the community. Everyone knew that Naboth was a morally upright guy, almost to a fault. He sat down in the chair of honor and people applauded him. Some even asked him to make a speech, but just when he was about to say something, two guys stormed up to the table. These guys were known to be idiots, dishonest men that roamed around town and kind of did whatever they wanted. Drunks. Naboth had no clue what they were doing at a religious observance like this, but he didn't have much time to think. You! One of the men pointed at Naboth. You committed blasphemy and insulted the king. Naboth looked like a deer in the headlights. He had no clue where these accusations were coming from. The second man agreed. Yeah, totally. I saw him do it. The Jewish law would not convict a man of a capital offense with only one witness giving testimony, but the two men's testimony was sufficient to cause a conviction. But these two witnesses definitely appeared sketchy. Naboth shrugged. He looked at the elders, who were his friends, but their faces looked as expressionless as stone. One of the elders finally pointed at him. You heard his crimes. Kill him. Naboth gasped in shock and horror and tried to slip away, but he was in the chair of honor. Everyone saw him. The crowd of villagers that had once respected him had changed their minds. They threw him to the ground and made a circle around him. They picked up heavy stones from the ground and strong men hurled them at Naboth until he finally died. The message from the town elders came to Jezebel. She walked into Ahab's room and smiled. The vineyard is yours. An hour later, Ahab walked through the field, whistling. He was proud of himself. He tasted the grapes. His grapes. That had been easy. I see you found me, my enemy. Ahab spat. Elijah was standing behind him. Yes, I found you, you murderer, Ahab said calmly. Enough is enough. You've been doing evil for your whole life. God has declared that he will remove your family from power and give you shameful deaths. Ahab looked at Elijah, horrified. Wasn't this overkill? He pled. No, it wasn't. Ahab and Jezebel had done more evil than anyone in Israeli history up until this point. The reason God had let the Hebrews conquer this land was as a punishment to the people who had been formerly living there and doing a whole lot of evil. Now, Ahab claimed to be following God, but was doing even worse things. But, I, I just had one guy killed, Ahab stuttered. Surely people have done worse. Elijah reminded Ahab of all the bad things he'd done in the past, and we really don't get an idea of all of them here, but we do remember from the first Elijah episode that he had tried to kill every single prophet of God. And just as suddenly as he appeared, Elijah was gone. The next day, Ahab appeared in public wearing clothes of ritual mourning. He stopped eating and mourned because of the evil he had done. Jezebel was furious. Do you want them to connect us with the death of Naboth? But Ahab didn't care. 
He had realized just how awful of a person he had become, and he was horrified. The next night, a dream came to Elijah. Ahab was clearly sorry for what he had done, so God wasn't going to bring the doom on him and remove his family from power just yet. But Ahab neglected to change. He was sorry for the things he'd done, yeah, and he definitely shaped up for a while. But after a few years, he was back to the old Ahab. And that will be right after this. Is this really a good idea? Jehoshaphat asked. Ahab nodded. This was bread and butter for your ancient kings. It was spring, you go out to war and see what happens. Like, that's just what you do. Jehoshaphat shook his head. What about preserving your borders, laying low, and letting your enemies fight each other? Ahab didn't get that. It was spring, and it was time to fight. Also, they were about to take back land that the Syrians stole, not going after new land. Jehoshaphat still wasn't sure. He looked at Ahab. In his kingdom, Jehoshaphat had a lot of prophets. Where were the prophets here? Did Ahab even have prophets? That was all Jehoshaphat was worried about? Ahab could sort that out in no time. He had plenty of prophets. Ahab waved his arms and in came all sorts of prophets. Tall prophets, short prophets, a guy with a pair of iron horns on his head. Wait, what? Who is this guy? Jehoshaphat asked. I'm Zedekiah, the man with the horns on his head introduced himself. And with these, you will gore the Syrians until you have destroyed them. Okay, so he was using symbolic imagery. A little overkill, maybe, but sure, at least he got his point across. Jehoshaphat still wasn't convinced. What's the matter? Ahab asked. Well, it was just this. Literally all the prophets were saying exactly what they wanted to hear. And there's a problem with that? Ahab asked quizzically. Jehoshaphat started explaining how they might not be honest because they were fearing for their lives. Ahab didn't seem to quite get this. They were prophets. What they were saying was going to come to pass, and of course they were telling him the truth. These weren't even proper prophets of Yahweh. Like, who even were they? They were just kind of walking around and acting comically and saying they were prophets. The guy was just walking around hitting people with the horns on his head. Ahab sighed. Fine. He knew what Jehoshaphat meant. He had just been pretending he didn't because there was only one prophet left named Micaiah, but Ahab hated him because he didn't say anything good about him. Yeah, that one, Jehoshaphat said. Finally, someone who wasn't afraid to explain what was going on. A few minutes later, Micaiah walked in. Great plan, Ahab, he exclaimed. You're definitely going to smash the Syrians in battle. Ahab looked at him skeptically. Stop lying to me, he ordered. Micaiah explained that he had been advised to say exactly what the king wanted to hear. The king shrugged. He probably should have, but the king did know he was lying. Are you sure you want to know what I really saw? Micaiah queried. Tell me, the king ordered. Okay, Micaiah began, breathed deeply, and continued. I looked around and saw a bunch of sheep walking around without a shepherd. These sheep represent Israel. They had no leader. Are you saying, Ahab began, what you think I'm saying? Micaiah responded, yes, if you go to fight the Syrians, you will die in battle. Ahab turned on Jehoshaphat. I told you he was going to prophesy bad things about me. 
but Mika Io is speaking again. I was in heaven, and God was sitting on his throne, and many angels, spirits, and other beings were sitting around him. God asked them all a question. What do you think I should do to trick Ahab into going to, into battle so he dies? And I heard a rush of voices. One said this thing, another said that thing, and then one stepped up confidently before God's throne. In spite of himself, Ahab was listening. I will persuade him to go to battle, the spirit said. What will you do? God asked. I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets, the spirit told God. You will absolutely get him to go to battle, God agreed. Go and do that. Micaiah finished the story. You see, God wants you to die as punishment for all the murders you committed, particularly that one of Naboth. This is a warning. Don't go up into battle, and God may spare your life. The guy with horns crossed the room in a single bound and slapped Micaiah across the face. He basically insulted Micaiah and his connection to the Spirit of God. Micaiah responded with another insult, telling the man that all would be clear when he was hiding under his bed like a kid from the enemy. Ahab bellowed above the insults. Take Micaiah to prison and feed him on the very worst food until I return. As they took Micaiah away, his final words were, If you ever return, I am a false prophet. Avoid the war, my fellow people. Watch out if you want to survive. But Ahab still couldn't shake the feeling that something bad was going to happen. It was Micaiah, he convinced himself. Could he just wear ordinary clothes and have Jehoshaphat wear his kingly robes? Absolutely not, Jehoshaphat said. I don't want to paint a target on my back, especially if the prophecy says the king is going to be killed. Just kidding. Jehoshaphat completely agreed to this, despite the fact that the Syrians would all be trying to go for the king, and the prophecy had said that the king of Israel would die. A quick word about biblical prophecies. Most of them are conditional, so very much unlike the Greek prophecies. In Greek prophecies, the prophecy will happen no matter what and often because of the people trying to avoid it. Time and time again, people try to outsmart the prophecy and end up being the reason it is fulfilled. In Hebrew prophecies, there is nearly always a way to avoid both good and bad possible outcomes. Often, it's by changing your ways. For example, if a prophet makes a prophecy against an evil man in the Hebrew Bible, the disaster prophesied can be avoided by repentance from the evil ways and a turn toward the good. So, Jehoshaphat was taking a huge risk here, but I guess he figured he had God's protection because he was a good king. And fortunately, that's exactly what he had, because the Syrians had been under orders to kill the king of Israel and get out of there. Seeing Jehoshaphat, they surrounded him and were about to kill him when Jehoshaphat prayed to God. The Syrians immediately realized that Jehoshaphat was not the king of Israel and probably assumed he was a decoy. They had turned around and started looking for the king somewhere else. Jehoshaphat breathed a sigh of relief. Unable to figure out who was the king, the Syrians began to fight in full force against the invading armies. One man pulled his bow back and fired into the crowd, hoping to hit an enemy soldier, but unknowingly his arrow struck Ahab. As soon as Ahab was hit with the arrow, he knew what was going to happen. But instead of realizing his mistake, he reacted with anger. This was so unfair. How was he to know that the prophet had been telling the truth? He asked his slaves to take him out of the battle, 
but to prop him up in a chariot facing the Syrians. He would at least die looking at his enemies. Defiant, he refused to call his troops to retreat, but instead left them fighting a pointless battle, one he knew they would never win. Ahab died at sunset, and shortly after, someone shouted, Everyone, return home to your own countries. The soldiers quickly dispersed, leaving the battlefield empty. The body of Ahab was taken back, and his bloody armor was washed in the same place where Naboth had been so cruelly murdered all those years ago. Ahab's family stayed in power for a few more years, each of them getting progressively worse. Eventually, they were overthrown by a man named Jehu, a wild and crazy man that we will discuss in later episodes. Jezebel died when some eunuchs threw her out a window at his orders. A little bit of discussion at the end of this story. Ahab had years to change his ways, listen to the prophets, and do the right thing. He saw God work incredible miracles through Elijah. He saw the error of his ways after killing Naboth, but he persisted in serving the Baals and ignoring God. Maybe he put it off, or maybe he just didn't feel it was important. But God didn't just kill him off one day when he felt like it. God warned him that if he went into this battle, he would die. Ahab knew a lot about prophets. He knew that what they said came to pass. He'd even seen a drought for years because a prophet said it would happen. Ahab had no excuse or reason to blame God. The impression that I get of Ahab is that he teetered on the edge of serving God a few times. When God sent fire from heaven in our first Elijah episode, when Elijah warned him of his ways after the murder of Naboth, Ahab seemed to try to reform. But he was always scared to change his life and start being good. Jezebel, his wife, kept on influencing him to do evil, and he was too scared to say no. Ahab is a lesson of what we can become if we don't firmly choose to do right and instead let ourselves do whatever we feel like. He is what we can become if we spend our time around evil influences. It is important to always make a stand for the right, no matter who is around. This is what separates the biblical heroes from the villains. The villains are always defined not by a desire to necessarily do evil, but the lack of a choice to do good. And doesn't that sum up humanity quite accurately? That's all for today. Next time, we will be doing the story of a man named Ehud, a left-handed hero who overthrew a tyrannical government in the biblical book of Judges. Again, thank you so much for listening, and please join us next time. Remember to leave a review if you liked the episode, and if you really liked it, share it with your friends. Script writing and theme music is by Caleb Howard, myself, and transition music is by Anchor Podcasts. See you next time.